Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. In his role as General Manager of Sustainability Solutions at Microsoft, Mark Cruz leads a team that drives product, customer, and market development solutions to help Microsoft realize its goals of becoming a carbon-negative company. Mark Fischel is the carbon product lead at Novata. They're launching their brand new tool, the Novata Carbon Navigator, in January to radically improve the carbon reporting experience for Novata's private company, Platform Partners. Both Marks have joined this third episode of the Sustainable Finance Podcast Novata series on demystifying ESG to help our sustainability-focused investor audience and their companies follow the pathway to decarbonization. Hello, Mark and Mark, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Good day, and thanks for including me in this. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Great to be here. Yes, we're very glad that both of you could join us, and we're going to jump right into the questions because I know we're on a tight schedule. So first, I think we're going to do a little bit of groundwork to level set about decarbonization, which, as we all know, is notoriously complex. Uh, I'm going to go with Mark Fischel first, and uh, Mark Cruz, if you have anything to add to Mark's uh, answer for the first question, just to chime in when he's done. So, Mark Fischel, what are carbon emissions and how do companies measure them? Great. Yeah, thank you, Paul. So, um, we all know, I suppose, that the actions that we take on a personal level have a corresponding carbon footprint. So whether that's taking a flight, eating a steak, etc. Similarly, all the activities that an organization undertakes, whether that's powering their offices or their factories, um, sending their employees on a business trip abroad, each of these also has a corresponding environmental impact. Um, on the and, and that's what we would call the overall carbon footprint of a company. Now, I say carbon footprint, but confusingly, carbon is often used as a byword for all greenhouse gas emissions, not just carbon dioxide. <laughs> um, but the, ultimately, in terms of measuring them, in theory, the process is very simple. So you take uh, a business activity. So for example, uh, someone driving a mile in a van, um, and you multiply that by and the average carbon emissions for a mile driven in a van. And once you can combine those two, you get the corresponding carbon emissions for that activity. Um, and those, those multiplication values um, that I just described, they're called emissions factors. Um, and they exist for pretty much any business activity that you could think of. So ultimately, to work out the carbon emissions, all you need is all the business activities that you, can, that you uh, undertake, and match them up with with all the different uh, emission factors you need. Combine the two, and then you've got uh, you've got your carbon footprint. Um, so it's easy. <laughs> well, I, yeah, it it sounds pretty easy. The process does, Mark. But Mark Cruz, uh, it must be incredibly complex to gather all that data with a company the size of Microsoft, isn't it? It is. It, it's really hard for any company. Um, you know, Microsoft is arranged on vertical industries, but really carbon accounting is a horizontal data problem because the the uh, carbon accounting is a system of record 
that draws from other systems of record in the case okay. of SAP or ERP system. And all of these things uh, add up those business activities that Mark Fisher was talking about. Uh, the, the additional thing to mention is that carbon um, uh, greenhouse gas, but we'll say carbon for the sake of simplicity, uh, carbon emissions are measured in what are called scopes. So you have scope one, scope two, and scope three. So scope one would be like the all of the vans and shuttles driving around Microsoft campus. You know, that, that would be stuff that contained in our own bubble, right? Scope two would be power we need to buy from uh, from utilities, for example, to power our campuses and data centers. Uh, so an energy product, energy consumption uh, from third-party sources. And then scope three is everything else. So uh, when you buy, and, and, and scope three has 15 subcategories, if you want to get really wonky, but a couple of big ones are purchased goods and services. So anything the company is buying or capital goods. So think of concrete, steel, Mike, think of building a data center. You have lots of purchased goods and services and you have lots of capital goods that are being purchased. And so we have to take responsibility for the carbon emissions from the chip. For the electricity consumption of every Xbox user that was gaming through the night during the pandemic, all of those things are scope three. So scope three becomes the ultimate sort of responsibility without authority problem where you are trying to, you are taking responsibility. Microsoft's emissions are 96% scope three. So this is often referred to as upstream and upstream and downstream supply chain emissions. Capital goods and purchase goods and services are upstream, things you need to do to say, build the data center. And then use of sold product. So think of the electricity consumption from an Xbox user. We were taking responsibility for every amount of electricity that person is using to game on that system. That would be use of sold product. So it's about scope three. 96% of our emissions are scope three. And, and that's what makes it complex. Got it. So Mark Fischel. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. You had, sorry, I, it's, I jumped yeah, in. it's a nested doll problem, right? But you, you say to your chip manufacturer, we need you to report your emissions and work with us to reduce those. And they say, well, we have seven suppliers behind us. And they work with them, and they work with them, and so on and so forth. Got it. So, Mark Fischel, now, from Novata's perspective and your perspective, uh, there's a lot of people in our land, a lot of companies in scope three emissions uh, along the supply chain, maybe at the distant end of it. How are you helping private market companies integrate this, all of this measurement into their um, greenhouse gas yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as as Mark mentioned, you know, scope three is a notoriously complex uh, thing to unpack. But we like to think about it as taking companies on a journey to get more and more accurate, right? So there's different levels of different levels of ways that you can do this. So you can start off by just looking at your expenditure ledger. So much of many of the things that Mark mentioned will flow through in your expenses. So that spend expenditure with you know your cloud provider. Um, expenditure on these goods, on construction, et cetera. And then once you've done that, um, that spend mapping, then you're in a much better position. You've sort of got a sketch of where the hotspots of your emissions are. And that's when you can take it to the next level deeper. You know, you can actually reach out to that um, supplier, whether it's, you know, Microsoft or, or Amazon or your construction provider, um, and you can get, you know, real emissions data from them. So 
really the way we think about it is is taking taking companies on a journey. You know, many haven't even thought about measuring scope three. Um, so you can start with a spend based approach, and then you can get it more accurate over time. And as you start getting it more accurate, then the key thing, and I think we'll get onto it, is moving um, you're moving away from just measurement to also uh, reporting on your emissions to, to to various different stakeholders, and crucially, the holy grail of actually starting to decarbonize. Okay. Now, Mark Cruz, back to you for to start this next question. Uh, there's uh, three phrases that are that are used within the field of carbon emissions when you're talking about it and writing about it. Uh, and if you could just give us an introduction to each of those, we're talking about net zero, science-based targets, and being carbon negative. Yeah. So um, you'll also, and I would throw net zero and carbon neutral sort of in the same thing. Um, the key word here is net, net zero. So uh, if a company has, say, I'll be simplistic, a, a hundred uh, or a thousand metric tons of emissions, uh, it must first try to reduce. There are really two, two uh uh, reduce their emissions. So um, buying lower lower carbon steel for their construction, lower carbon concrete, uh, making sure their software code runs more efficiently just to have fewer emissions. But there's the point like, like an airline, let's take an airline, they could choose to use sustainable aviation fuel, you know, a huge source of airline emissions, but that's not going to get them to zero. So the net comes to say, okay, you get your, your, emissions from a thousand down to 600 or 400 you now have 400 left to get to net zero those need to be removed and that would be this the 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 field of carbon removal which is planting a net new tree right so the con the economic concept of additionality it wouldn't have happened otherwise but for this activity, so planting a net new tree or using direct air capture to say suck vacuum carbon out of the atmosphere, these are removal activities that are removing legacy emissions from the atmosphere. So when a company has a thousand metric tons of emissions, they can reduce, say, 60%, and then they can remove the last 40%. That gets you to a net of zero. Um, Carbon neutral and net zero are sort of used interchangeably. There's some nuances between them that you know I'll sort of um, uh, skip over. Uh, carbon negative, of course, would be to make sure that the net is a net negative. So in the case of this, this company with 1,000, you reduce by 600, but then you remove, say, 500, and now you have a net negative of 100. Uh, Microsoft has made the... Uh, commitment to be carbon negative by 2030. And that generally, going back to our two verbs, reduce and remove, that means we are going to reduce our scope three emissions by 55% and durably remove the rest so that, uh, and then with each sub uh, subsequent year between 2030 and 2050, going slightly more negative every year so that by 2050, we have we have now accounted for all the emissions from the founding of the company in 1975 up to 2020 when we made that commitment so that from an atmospheric perspective by 2050, it says that Microsoft never existed. So we're gonna sweep up all our historical emissions by being slightly more negative every year. Um, that is a very, very tall order. 
and something that is even more challenged in the world of AI. Okay. Now, Mark Cruz, we're going to stay with you, first of all, for this next question. Uh, when it comes to tracking and regulating carbon emissions or any other form of greenhouse gas emissions, what's the big deal that's been brewing for the last probably decade or so, and we're starting to see it manifest in business, uh, um, in the business world on a day-to-day -day basis now? Yeah, so we're in this um, grand trend from voluntary to regulatory compliance. Uh, that's the, the simplistic way of saying it, is that leading companies, you know, uh, whether it's Microsoft or any of our peer companies or, or, you know, celebrated companies like Patagonia have been doing this voluntarily because it's the right thing to do and they want to be good stewards and citizens of the planet, which is great. Now, and that, that let's call that the early, you know, the early leading edge, right? As you get to the full majority and the laggards, there are people that are less motivated to do that. So what you're seeing at a governmental level is regulation coming that will require companies to report their emissions. The thinking being, as Mark Fisher was saying, once you report and get all that information together, you can then analyze it and figure out what to do about it. Right. So the a couple of notable regulatory requirements that are coming. The first is uh, coming very soon or the first really big one is called CSRD. That is the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive that's coming out of the European Commission in Brussels. And it affects 50,000 companies, all companies with over 20 million dollars of revenue or 20 million euros of revenue in the EU. And any company that deals with the EU, like Microsoft, has way more than $20 million of revenue in the EU. So we are affected as well. So the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive will re require 1,144 fields of data across not just environmental, the E in ESG, but, but social and governance as well. Which is why a tool like Novata is so, is so great because it is an all-in-one dashboard. Microsoft has a similar thing at an enterprise level called the Cloud for Sustainability. But you need a place and a dashboard to put all of your E, all of your S, and all of your governmental um, fields of data. Um, and so CSRD is coming fast and furious, affecting 50,000 companies. And the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission, the SEC, is um, planning to follow suit with similar regulations here in the United States. So regulation is coming and companies need to get their data house in order in order to comply with this new era of regulatory compliance that we're entering so mark fischel now uh, on the private side uh, of the ledger uh, give us where things are right now in the development of the business case for measuring reporting and reducing emissions yeah, absolutely. So I think um, the key the key point is that now more than ever, there's a very very strong business case for getting getting to grips with your um, carbon emissions and your environmental uh, uh, all environmental and social and governance, as as Mark mentioned. I think to unpack why and how that is, I think there's there's really four main reasons. So first of all, the regulatory piece, um, as Mark mentioned, I won't go through it again, but you know there are certain jurisdictions where you literally won't be able to do business in the next few years if you're not getting to grips with this. So that's a pretty big push. Secondly, there's obviously this um, broader piece and something that your listeners will be very familiar with, Paul, which is access to capital. 
you know, the, the old phrase, show me the money. Well, the thing is, if you want to do a capital raise, equity or credit in the next, you know, five years, you know, you're probably, if you're not doing this, you're going to close off doors um, and you're going to close off pools of capital that you want to have access to. So that's the second piece. I think the third, the third piece really that I would the point to is really around cost savings. You know, there are these uh, parts of business where it turns out being wasteful, um, you know, you can stop being wasteful and you can save on carbon emissions. You can also save on the bottom line. So things like energy efficiency, um, for example, you know, that's a real win-win, both uh, from a cost perspective and from an emissions perspective. And then finally, I think the fourth one, moving away from cost, um, there's also just a huge business opportunity here, right? Um, coming back to the scope three piece that we mentioned right off the bat, if you, you know, Fortune 500 companies across the globe have to reduce their scope three emissions. So 80% of that is in their supply chains. So they are just cascading that down to their suppliers. You know, they are compelling anyone who wants to do business with them to really, you know, certainly measure their emissions, ultimately probably also set targets to reduce and actively reduce their emissions too. So if you're a B2B company and you want to sell to Fortune 500 companies, which is, you know, most B2B companies, then you should really get your house in order on this. And I think the key thing is that it's not, not a cost center, right? It's a, it's a real opportunity. If you can get ahead of the curve and ahead of your competitors, it can be a real uh, point of difference when you come into RFPs with um, potential vendor, uh, potential customers like, like Microsoft, et cetera. Okay, so now let's move on to carbon measurement software options. And Mark Cruz, I'll ask you to go first on this one. Um, you, Microsoft has its own software uh, measurement system, right? And I believe it was recently uh, ranked you know, among the top five in the industry. Uh, what are the other options that are out there? And, and is company size a consideration when it comes to making a choice about the software they use? It is. Um, the, the, the bigger the company, the more complex your supply chain, the more of a carbon ledger you have, right? So Microsoft introduced uh, over a year ago what's called the Microsoft Cloud for Sustainability, which is really meant in-house dashboard for all uh, of the company's reduction and removal activities that really defines a ledger. Um, this would include the life cycle of, say, a carbon credit. So if um, you are uh, offsetting an emission that you can't reduce on the removal side and you purchase a carbon removal credit from, say, a forest in California, and then that forest ends up burning down, there's a reversal of that credit because the, the avoided emissions are then now uh, back up in, in the atmosphere. So, you know, software needs to be very sophisticated with lots of metadata to be able to account for these, these ebbs and flows in, in the emissions. Um, the most important part is on the reduction side. So this is, so if you think of a company like Microsoft, we have 15 business groups and each of those have different emissions uh, coming. So the Xbox team and the Surface team have embodied carbon from the production of the, you know, the metal casing of, of the device and so forth. All of those have to come into a centralized place. They all have to be viewed uh, and and various reduction activities then are our recommendations come from all of those uh, and that's all in one big place and then we add to that all of the social and the governance factors so you know employee diversity you know all of those types of uh, uh data and corporate governance data so it's all in one place 
so that all of the reporting that is coming at us can happen. Um, there are a number of companies, uh, companies like Persephone and Watershed and SAP, um, Salesforce.com, that are all have entered this space in slightly different nuanced ways. We think it's a great thing because it's kind of a race to the top, not a race to the bottom. We're all forcing ourselves. We're all pushing each other to get better. And that's at like the big enterprise level. And then at the at the more private and smaller company level, you have companies like Novata, who seems to be really running away with it, um, it as as a as a a simpler, more uh, TurboTax-ish way for a smaller company that's less sophisticated and doesn't have an army of data scientists to enter into um, this idea of uh, recording all of your uh, emissions into one place, all of your ESG data in one place. Okay, Mark Fischel, anything to add? Yeah, th well, thank you, Mark. Yeah, that's a, a good segue. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. You know, there is, there's no one size fits all for how you tackle this. It depends on the company in question. And um, yeah, there are some really great tools out there like the Microsoft Stability Manager um, and, and many others. Um, but yeah, in terms of what we're doing at Novata, um, as Mark alluded to, we're launching um, our own in-house Novata Carbon Navigator in January. And this tool is designed to radically improve carbon, the carbon experience for really mid-sized private companies. Um, so it's fully digitally integrated, it's transparent, it's robust, and crucially, it's, it's very easy to use. So that's a, yeah, as Mark alluded to, you know, that is a real improvement for, for mid-sized companies, you know, who don't have a huge sustainability department, but really need to get to grips with carbon um, ASAP. Um, so yeah, if there are if listeners are interested in, in learning more about that, um, yeah, please do reach out, um, and I'd be delighted to talk more about it. But that's kind of where we're at um, in terms of our carbon offering, and that that as Mark mentioned again, sits alongside the 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 S and the G elements of the platform as well. Okay, now uh, back to you, Mark Cruz, to start this next question. But uh, I got to say that uh, this is the one that just blows my mind because there's so many new technologies coming out in this whole field. It seems like every week I'm reading about new companies, startups, launches, et cetera, et cetera. How is carbon, carbon accounting technology changing based on the development of other new technologies, and we'll just use AI as the prime example. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. We use the word carbon accounting. Really, what has been happening historically is carbon counting, not okay. accounting. Okay. <laughs> we count carbon. So we really, as an industry, we need to move from a world of carbon counting to carbon accounting. There's a lot of advancements happening uh, at the software level, at the AI level, Let's just start with methodologies. Um, the way in which you decide as a company what your emissions are is currently based on what's called the spend-based methodology. So let's take a, a Microsoft building, for example. You know, building the built environment is a big source of emissions. So we let's say we spend a million dollars on HVAC. What happens then is that we get an invoice that comes to our finance department that says, oh, you spent a million dollars on HVAC. And then they go to a lookup table and they say, what is the average amount of carbon associated with a million dollars of HVAC based on all companies in all industries across the world? 
that 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 average doesn't appreciate that we are buying 100% renewable energy. It doesn't appreciate that we might have more efficient systems. It's just an average. So then that average is applied and it is a spend base. So it says, well, Microsoft, since you spent a million dollars on HVAC, we are going to apply this emissions factor to that. And you're on the books. You're going to go to have this much carbon footprint from that million dollar spend. What we need to move to is an activity based. So let's take a company like Honeywell or Johnson Controls. We're working closely with both companies. Every time a meter you know, an HVAC device, a system in a building spins up and moves. It knows, is the grid green that it's getting that energy from? When did it go on? When did it go off? And all of that data is being pumped straight to the cloud. So that would be, it's much more accurate, right? That would be activity-based methodology versus spend-based methodology. So the first thing that needs to happen is we need to, but all of those devices, of course, have to be in place. They have to talk to each other and the data format, the file formats and the protocols all have to be in sync. So the the other thing that, that we're really working on is through an industry initiative that we helped launch and then turned over to a nonprofit, um, uh, the Climate Works Foundation is called the Carbon Call. And this is a standardization of carbon accounting methodologies and file formats across the world. The simple analogy I would use is the JPEG file. You have a phone, you take pictures, you text them to your friends, you post them on social media. The JPEG file is the same. I can receive it, you can send it. It is the same for everybody. And it has democratized the exchange of that file format across the world. We need the same thing it's much more complicated than that, but we need the same thing for carbon accounting data. We needed, you know, so there are, there's this thing called the XBRL format and all of lots of different gobbledygook, but essentially it is a common file format with a common set of metadata constructs that track the chain of custody of a carbon credit and the, the life cycle of, of an emission uh, all the way up and down the supply chain. From so the 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 two words we use on carbon accounting are the data needs to be more reliable, again activity versus spend based, and it needs to be more interoperable. It needs to move up and down the supply chain across companies and across industries with full fidelity. So I'll stop there. But those are and of course AI is helping root out all of that and look for inconsistencies in the data and clean data up, and cleanse and conform it. And it is a huge accelerant to the progress on this whole thing. Okay, so this last question is for both of you, and let's start start with Mark Fischel. I'm almost afraid to ask this one. Beyond measurement, <laughs> what's important to consider when it comes to reducing company emissions? Great, yeah, thank you, Paul. So I think um, that as with as with measurement, when it comes to decarbonization, you know, it's straightforward in theory. But it can become, you know, endlessly nuanced um, given the particulars of any specific business or industry they're in, um, where they operate, etc. But I think as some uh, as some general principles, I think number one, um, it's good to start with the things that you can control. Um, so coming back to scope one and two, you know, you should get your own house in order. You should be switching to renewables. You know, you should be making your fleet of vehicles more efficient, the things that you, you know, have day-to-day -day control over, you should start there. Um, and then secondly, I think more broadly, um, there's a piece around, you know, prioritization here, right? 
Um, and a lot of the process of the measurement is to really identify where are the material areas, where are the areas that your business has an outsized um, emissions hotspot where you can start making, you know, you can start making strides quickly. Um, and so focusing on that, you can't change everything all at once. So those are two like practical pieces of advice. And I think then there's like a third, slightly more um, overarching piece, um, which is that, you know, you need, if you're like a head of sustainability or head of ESG leading the charge on this, you need to bring everyone along on the journey with you, right? It's uh, from the finance team to the marketing team to procurement. This is going to be a multi-year transformational project. So you need to be a good storyteller. You need to make the business case. The, you know, that decarbonization is not just a, it's not just a nice to have. It's not just a good thing to do. It's like crucial for the health of your long-term business opportunities. So I, those are some some thoughts. But uh, you know, it's a it's a difficult challenge, but one that you know everyone's coming to terms with at the moment. Okay. Well, thank you, Mark Cruz. What would you like to add to that? Yeah, Mark uh, official covered covered it well. The one one thing I would add is just that um, the the rise of importance of corporate procurement really comes to focus here. So we have a group that say buys concrete for our, the construction of a data center. Um, that team needs to be uh, incented and, and steeped in making good choices. Uh, and there, so the choice of materials and the choice of suppliers. So, you know, about a third of global emissions, even a little bit more come from the built environment. This is the management of existing buildings and the construction of new buildings. So, uh, we have uh, our Climate Innovation Fund recently invested in a company based in Boulder, Colorado called Prometheus Materials. They make, you know, zero carbon concrete that's made from algae and bugs. And it's a crazy cool process. <laughs> it's more expensive, yeah. right? And and there is a, a short-term green premium. But when you overlay the carbon fee that we levy on businesses internally, it, it's about a wash. So making good choices of materials that that drive the progress of your business, whether you're Procter & Gamble, whether that's just different packaging or McDonald's and no styrofoam or, you know, you need, or, or, or a Microsoft building a data center, you need to choose better materials and invest in the market to have those materials come online sooner. And this is another place AI is going to be a huge accelerant is the the creation and uh, the ability to produce more sustainable materials, the raw materials for all of the things we build in this world. Okay, well, listen, I know I'm going to have to listen to this program a number of times before I talk to anybody else about it. But Mark Cruz and Mark Fischel, where is the best place online for followers of the Sustainable Finance Podcast to learn more, first of all, about Microsoft's and Novata's approach to measuring carbon emissions on the pathway to decarbonization? And how can our listeners contact you with questions about the things that we've discussed in today's episode? Either one of you can go first. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, so the, the single document that I would seek out is uh, the Microsoft Sustainability Report. So if you go into your favorite search engine, um, you can just type in, you know, Microsoft 2023 Sustainability Report or 2022 Sustainability Report, and you can get it as it's about a 80 page PDF um, that you can download. And it will tell you everything about what we've been up to across all scopes and across all parts of our business, across all spheres of influence. 
Uh, you could also get Chad GPT to say, just summarize it for me um, and you do that as well. So uh, um, uh, that would be the place that is, that is the, the sole source of uh, or the, the best single source of Microsoft's data and story around sustainability. OK, thank you. Mark Fischel, what about Novata? Yeah, so on the Novata side, I'd say two places. Um, obviously, our website, www.novata.com, but also our LinkedIn page um, is very active as well. So we'll be posting lots of updates there um, about various different things. And then in terms of me personally, I'm also yeah open. Uh, listeners can reach out to me directly through LinkedIn. Um, that's probably the best place. Okay. Listen, I'm really excited to know that I can create my own executive summary of any one of these reports just by asking for that help. <laughs> and I really want to thank both of you for, for joining us today. Uh, thanks again to Mark uh, Cruz of Microsoft and Mark Fischel of Novata for joining me in this episode of the Sustainable Finance Podcast and Novata series. And to our followers, join us again next week for another episode. My name is Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Music